If you have your Bibles, open to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. A few weeks ago, we started talking about the various manifestations of the Spirit. And the reason I use that word is that it's the word the Bible uses to describe when the Holy Spirit comes out of us or reveals Himself. And He manifests or He reveals Himself in a a wide variety of ways. Some of those are listed in 1 Corinthians 12. A lot of times they're called the gifts of the Spirit, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, gifts of healing, working of miracles, those kinds of things. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, that we are to earnestly desire the best gifts. We're supposed to, in fact, the word there is covet, but covet has a negative connotation in our day and age. He's not saying covet like covet your neighbor's wife or something like that. He's just saying you ought to have a strong desire for the Holy Spirit and for the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. It's not wrong to want the God that is in you to come out. All right, it's not wrong. In fact, it's right. It's, it's legal. In fact, it's required to want the gifts of the Spirit. It's, it's not an option, really, about whether or not you want to have a word of knowledge or see somebody healed or pray for the sick or those kinds of things uh, or to give a prophetic word. Paul says you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to want to do it. Does that, everybody see that right there? Now, here's what I want to point out to you, though, is that when Paul says to earnestly desire the best gifts, he's, he's really talking about the different ways that the Holy Spirit reveals himself. And we have a tendency, because of the context there, to only think about the stuff that's in 1 Corinthians 12. But in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, we won't turn there, Paul lists what is called the fruit of the Spirit. How many of you have read that? series of scriptures. The fruit of the Spirit is just another way of saying manifestation of the Spirit. When Paul says earnestly desire the best gifts, he's saying desire, letter A there, the power of God. That's the 1 Corinthians 12 gifts. But he's also talking about the character of God. That's the Galatians 5, 22 and 23 manifestations, the fruit of the Spirit, like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. What I think we, we sometimes mistake is that there are people in churches that put a, uh, for a long time when I was growing up, I was in a church that would put a tremendous amount of emphasis on the fruit of the Spirit. And you got to be loving and be kind and do all these kinds of things, and that's how you knew God was, was working through you. And that's tremendous, but they never talked about the gifts of the Spirit and 1 Corinthians 12. Now, there's other churches that focus a whole bunch on the 1 Corinthians 12 gifts, but seldom talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And what I want you to understand is that we believe that it's just as much a supernatural thing when you love somebody the way Jesus does as it is when you pray for the sick and see them healed. The Galatians 5, 22 and 23 things are not talking about things that I work up through my human effort. It's not talking about me just being a really nice person. Now, it's good to be a really nice person. But he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming out of you and loving those around you in such a way that it's supernatural. Sometimes you need a word of wisdom. You need to figure out, what to do, what job to take, who to marry. 
But other times, you need some patience. Like if you have a three-year-old, like I do, and a (laughs) one-year-old. And what I want you to understand is that it's just as much a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit when I can walk in a, a patience that's effortless, that doesn't come from me, that comes from the inside of me and in my relationship with God. That's just as supernatural as, as hearing God about some uh, word of knowledge or something like that. Amen. We want to be a church that honors and recognizes all the various ways that the Holy Spirit manifests. And we want to point out and highlight different ones at different times, but that doesn't mean that we're excluding others. And what tends to happen is that when you say you're supposed to earnestly desire the best gifts, what people start to do is they look at that list and then they make an inventory. Well, am I doing this? Am I doing that? Am I doing this? And then they find the one that they're not doing and they feel guilty about it. Who's, that, who's ever done that? I, I, I remember reading that list in, first, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And I would think, oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm doing any of those. And it was really stressful. And what Paul is saying is you ought to want to be loving. You ought to want to see love flow out of you. You ought to want to see patience flow out of you. And it's fine to want that. But we don't grow in our relationship with God through feeling condemned and beating ourselves up. It does not help us. Letter B in your notes, we don't let our focus on where we need to grow drive us to condemnation. It's difficult sometimes when you listen to various ministers who are really strong in whatever area and they start to say, they start to tell stories about how they've done this or they've done that. And I could stand up here and I could tell you a bunch of healing testimonies or I could tell you a bunch of testimonies about how I was nice to somebody or loving or something like that. And if your heart wasn't postured right, you could begin to feel condemned that you hadn't seen that happen or that you hadn't been nice or whatever. Does everybody see that? And um, I I want you to know, as your pastor, I'm tempted to do that. Okay, I'm tempted to listen to to some, you know, sometimes I listen to people. I got to go see two of my heroes on Friday, uh, Todd White and and Bill Johnson. It was a lot of fun. And um, uh, but, you know, Todd White is amazing, and he's like the most amazing evangelist I've ever heard of. But it's, it's tempting for me, if I listen to him, if I'm not careful, to feel condemned that everywhere I go, you know, everybody's not just falling down and, and getting born again, okay? Because he's just like an a, a evangelistic stick of dynamite. He's amazing, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. And it, and it puts a desire in me to be like that. But is being condemned about where I'm at the, the path to get there? No, 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 it's not. Now, how do I stay out of condemnation? I stay out of it through thankfulness. What does that mean? It means instead of just looking at the stuff that's not working in my life, I look at the stuff that is working and I'm thankful for it. 
This is just a thing I've learned to do in my relationship with God is that I have goals. I have things that I want to see happen. I have things I want to pursue in my relationship with God. But if I start to feel condemned or if I start to feel like I'm self-critical or like it's not working the way that I want it to, I take my focus off of that and begin to look at all the stuff that is working and think about all the good things that God has done and recognize, hey, I may not be doing all this, but God's, God's coming out of me these ways. And I've got, to, I've got to be thankful and recognize and honor the way that God is, is using me. And if I sat and talked with each of you, I could, I could find lots of stories, lots of instances, lots of amazing things that God has done for you and through you. How many of you will acknowledge that? And, and what you've got to do is focus on those things, and that will protect your heart as you pursue uh, greater and greater breakthrough and more and more, and more manifestations of, of God. So, how do I experience more of the Holy Spirit moving in my life? How many of you would like to see that? Well, the first thing is don't feel condemned if it's not working. It's be thankful for what is working and recognize that. Now, I'm gonna, I've got a lot of things to say here. I, if I can't get through all this, it's in your notes, all right? So just, just be patient with me. How do I see more of the Spirit manifest through me? There are basically two opposing views about this, and as often is the case, the truth is somewhere in the middle. I'm going to use two theological terms here. If you've never heard these before, don't stress out about it. It's not a big deal. I'll explain it. But there is what's called a Calvinistic or a Calvinist view of God. And if you've been in a Pentecostal, excuse me, if you've been in a Protestant church, for any amount of time, you've probably been influenced by this way of thinking called Calvinism. Now, if you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. All right, I'll explain it to you. But uh, a, a extreme version of Calvinism is a view of God, or a, a hyper-Calvinist view, that's your blank there, of this would say that God just does whatever He wants. God is sovereign, and so regardless of what we do, regardless of our choices or our faith, uh, it's really up to God how much you see happen in your life. That's how a lot of people view the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So if I want to see more people healed, well, I don't really have any control over that because it's, it's all up to, to God. If I want to be more loving, uh, I don't really have any control over that either because it's all up to God, a really extreme version of this view, says that God just controls everything. And that really takes the, on a positive note, it takes the pressure off of me. (laughs) But at the end of the day, it means that I'm ultimately not responsible for my own actions. And we end up having a God who is sovereignly declaring that some people go to heaven and some people go to hell. And uh, we don't believe that. We believe that um, God loves and wants to save everybody. The Bible says that he's the propitiation, not just for our sins, but also the sins of the entire world. That's 1 John 2, 2. And so people go to hell, not because God wants them to, but because they choose to reject Jesus. Um, so that's an extreme, that's the far end of that view. Everybody with me there? So if you ask somebody with that view, how do you see more of God coming out of your life? Their response is most likely going to be, well, there's nothing really you can do. <laughs> you just hope that it will. Maybe you pray a little bit and ask God, but at the end of the day, he's, he's going to decide. At the opposite end, there's what's called the hyper-Armenian view. 
And this rose as a response to Calvinism. And that says that, that we need to earn God's presence or that we can sort of divine or conjure God through various legalisms. And legalism is when you try to earn things from God by doing a system of rituals or, or processes or whatever you want to call it. For example, if you ask somebody with an extreme Arminian view, how do you get more of the Spirit to, to move through you? They would say, well, you've got to move God by intensely praying and fasting, getting really desperate, giving sacrificially, going to a six-hour church meeting, whatever. Depends on who you listen to in that, in that mindset. But the idea basically is that God is sort of in heaven with his arms crossed, and he doesn't really want to do very much stuff, but if you get enough people together, you can sort of pry the arms of God open and hope that he will do something. And that's, that's where we get this terminology, I remember, and I'm not being critical, but I'm just, I'm just this is part of my history. I remember being at, at church, and there was a, a young lady that, that had a, uh, a, a real terrible problem, and so we all got together, and we were all praying, and we are all saying, let's, let's bombard heaven. Let's bombard heaven with, with prayer. And uh, that's fine, but that terminology, the word bombard, it's, it's talking about shelling, like with, with bombs. Okay, and so it's talking about that heaven is like this sealed off place. And if you get enough people to, to try to beat a hole in that thing, maybe God will come out. And that's really the, the mindset that, that accompanies this sort of thinking. A lot of times we don't process it that way, and a lot of times people don't come out and say stuff like that, but that's the theological sort of underpinning or the, the philosophy behind what we're doing. Both of these views, number three, it should say, I'm sorry I marked it wrong, both of these views contain some truth and some error. The Calvinists have it right that God is sovereign and that he in his sovereignty and his incredible love for us chose to intervene by sending Jesus. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated or commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Did you ask Jesus to come and die for you? Did you conjure Jesus down here through your own efforts? No. Did you fast long enough and then Jesus came? No. In fact, he came before you were ever born or thought of. And guess what? It wasn't all the fasting and prayer of all the people in the Old Testament that, that moved Jesus to come. They didn't, they didn't convince, they didn't get really desperate and convince God that they really needed help, and that's why Jesus came. The Bible says that Jesus, in Revelation, was the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. What that means is that Jesus on the cross was God's plan before Adam and Eve ever sinned. Everybody with me there? That means that, that Jesus on the cross is not a response to anything humans have done, good or bad. It was his sovereign choice to come down here and get on the cross. God intervened in our be, on our behalf of his own volition, of his own will, without us praying or fasting or asking or begging or doing all these kinds of things. How many of you are thankful for that? 
you couldn't, you couldn't faith hard enough to get Jesus to come down here. You couldn't. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 10 that, that who is he that has ascended into heaven as if to bring Jesus down, or who is he that has gone into the grave as though to raise Jesus up? What he's pointing out is this truth that we don't, we don't control God, and it's not our efforts or prayer or willpower that got Jesus to come down here, and it's not our prayer or efforts or willpower that got Jesus to raise from the dead. And we should be thankful for that. While that is true, it's also true that in order to receive and experience what Jesus did for us on the cross, we have to exercise our faith. Now, we don't earn anything. We don't force God to do anything. We don't manipulate God or pull on the arms of God. But we have to believe in what Jesus already accomplished, what Jesus already did for us. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. That's a fascinating part. Even though you did believe under righteousness, the faith that you use to believe God isn't even yours. It's actually Jesus' faith. And he actually believed God for you beforehand, and then when you believed, you stepped into the reality of what he already accomplished. But the point here is, it says, for by grace you're saved. That's, That's Jesus coming to the earth of his own volition, of his own will, apart from what you chose or didn't choose. But it doesn't say just that. It says you're saved through faith. That means you've got to believe. You've got to accept what Jesus did for you. Number one says this, Jesus actually accomplished the salvation of every person in his death, burial, and resurrection. However, not everyone is experiencing that or will experience it because they choose not to believe and accept what he did for them. This is the balance. I'm not with my faith causing God to do anything. I'm with my faith believing what he already did. Number three, I've got to understand that, I, that nothing I can do to, can, excuse me, can earn me more of God's presence or power in my life because Jesus already purchased it on the cross. Are you earning anything from God? No, you can't. The Calvinists have it right there. However, I've got to balance that, that unless I step out in faith, that's the next blank, to act on what Jesus purchased, I won't experience all of it in my life. Jesus poured out enough power for you to walk in forgiveness and health and and happiness and joy on the cross. But how many of you will acknowledge that until you came to church or you got born again in some other place or whatever, you, didn't, you were already forgiven, but you didn't experience that until you accepted it. Amen. You felt you didn't feel forgiven, right. Right? right? There's objective reality and there's subjective reality. Objective is what God experiences. It's His, his opinion about things. But then there's subjective reality, and that's what we experience. Our faith alters subjective reality. It alters what we experience. It doesn't alter God's opinion. It doesn't change God. 
God already moved. It doesn't move God. It just alters what we receive and what we experience. I've got to hold those two truths in, in balance. That's the way to receive more from God. Recognize I'm not earning it, but I've also got to step out in faith to walk in things. And then number A, as I'm stepping out in faith or taking risks, I've got to be careful not to get confused. Because the devil will come and try to confuse you and he'll begin to get you to think that your faith is moving God or that you're producing the supernatural through your own human efforts. This is really tricky. Fasting is good. Thank you for those amens. (laughs) Fasting is good. I don't know that I enjoy fasting, but I've seen breakthrough. I've seen, for example, some more supernatural things happen. I've seen more people healed um, that I can see as, as a result of fasting. But I've got to be careful because if I'm not thinking right, I can begin to think that my fasting earned those people being healed. Or that my fasting moved the hand of God or moved the arm of God. It did not do that. What my fasting did was it it helped me. It didn't change God. It helped me connect with the reality of what God has already done. Letter B, I do spiritual activities like fasting and reading my Bible and praying to help me connect with the reality of what Jesus has already done, not to get him to do something. Fasting is not a hunger strike. It's not like you say, God, I'm not going to eat until you do blank. That's not going to work. You don't, you, God's God. Okay, he's the boss. God is the boss. It's just he, he decided to do certain things and to pay for certain things. And so if we... By faith, receive them. We can change things in our lives. Letter C, we don't climb into the presence of God. We just wake up to the fact that we're already there. Man, when I began to really experience that, <laughs> it, really, it really changed my life. I, most people have a view that God is off somewhere else or he's on a mountain or he's, he's far away. And what I need to do is I need to get closer to God. And the way that I do that is different depending on what religious group you, you belong to, but it usually involves uh, abusing or denying my flesh in some way. It's, it's I got to, you know, the uh, old Catholic saints... Uh, great men of God, they would, this one guy, St. Saint, Saint, uh, John of the Cross, he wore this belt, this chain belt around his stomach all the time, and it was too tight, and it was painful. And that's because they believed this Gnostic concept that if you inflict pain on your flesh, that will get you closer to God. And he wore that so long, it, got, it like got embedded in his, in his flesh when he died, you know, anyway, that's probably kind of gross, but... Most of us don't uh, wear those those chains. <laughs> Hopefully, you aren't doing that. Okay, but what do we do? We do other various religious activities to try to get closer to God. And what we've got to understand is that when Jesus died on the cross, 
He, he raised you up and he seated you at the right hand of the Father in heaven, in him. And you are now, in your spirit, as close to God as you can ever be. So I, I don't fast or pray or read my Bible to get closer to God. I do it to wake up to this reality that already exists. That I'm already in Jesus. That I'm already at one with Him. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, that he who joins himself to the Lord, that's talking about when you get born again, is one spirit. One spirit. The word there means unified or fused. You can't get closer to God if you try. He did it for you. It's too hard to climb the mountain of God. That's what the Old Testament was about. They're trying to climb the mountain of God to get into God's presence, do all these various rituals to get into God's presence. And I'm telling you, it is too difficult. You cannot do it. That's why Jesus had to come. Jesus came, sure, to forgive you of your sin, but he came because he loves you and he's your dad. And dad wanted you to come eat at the, the dinner table. But it was too hard for you to get to the dinner table. You didn't know the way. You didn't have the directions. You didn't have the gas money. You didn't even have a car. You didn't even know how to walk. And so Jesus came down here and he picked you up, a little baby. He said, hey, come here. And he picked you up and he carried you to the Father's table. And now you're sitting there. And you're sitting there at the table. And so many Christians are saying, I'm hungry. Feed me, God. And God's saying, man, what are you, the food's there. It's right, eat it. Eat the food. <laughs> what does faith do? Faith believes the food's there. It doesn't make the food there. It believes it's there. And then it eats. Just, just, now, now listen, listen, how... How, do, how does this, let's make it really practical. How does this apply to receiving more of the manifestations of the Spirit? How many of you would like to hear God more clearly and get, get a word of knowledge about something? How many of you would like to, to do that, hear God supernaturally about something? Here's what you do. You hold these two truths in balance. First of all, you recognize you cannot earn hearing God's voice. You don't know how to hear God's voice. It's too hard. It's confusing. It's complicated. Give up and trust that Jesus heard God for you and wake up to the reality that God, you, you can't make God talk to you. You just wake up to the reality that he's already talking. You just start to, you just start to believe, you just start to believe that you're hearing him. If you, listen, this, is, this changed my life. I remember it was probably six, seven years ago. I was driving in my car, and I heard this man say, God's talking to you all the time, and when he talks to you, a lot of times it sounds like your own thoughts because he lives on the inside of you. And I thought, whoa. And I, I looked back over my life, and I began to see that God was actually talking to me all the time. And I began to, by faith, believe that he was speaking to me. Now, my faith didn't make God speak to me. Everybody with me there? The Calvinists are right. Your faith can't make God speak to you. 
But the Armenians are also right. Unless you believe that God's speaking to you, you aren't going to experience it. How do I get more words and knowledge? Start to believe that you receive them. Start to believe you hear. And if you believe you hear, then you'll hear something and then take a risk. Say, hey, do you have this problem? Or I felt like God was saying this about you. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. It's, it's really that simple. Um, here's another one that's kind of funny. Um, when, when the Holy Spirit starts to manifest, uh, a lot of times some, some wilder stuff happens and people fall over and, and people laugh and people cry and people run around and all these kinds of things. And sometimes people see that, and they have one or two responses. One is, I hope that doesn't happen to me. The other is, I hope it does happen. And, and look, God's not going to jump on you, and you don't have to experience anything you don't want to in, in the kingdom, okay? But if you, if you want to experience that kind of stuff, you know, in the Bible, in Acts chapter 2, um, all the apostles got drunk in the Spirit. Now, they, they, the reason I know they were drunk is, because, you know, people say, well, they thought they were drunk because they were speaking other languages. Well, if I got up here and spoke French, would you think I was drunk? You'd think I was speaking French, right? How, why did they think they were drunk? Because they, they were acting drunk, right? That's, that's why. All right, so how do you experience that kind of stuff? How do you experience the glory and enjoying how many how many of you ever want to just just laugh in the spirit and and be happy and have joy and not not be depressed and and all this <clears throat> if you're if you're too calvinist in your thinking you're waiting for god to jump on you and just do it to you if you're too arminian in your thinking you're trying to work it up and conjure something you want to know the secret to all that stuff. You guys ready? You want to know the secret? You're already drunk. You want to fall over in the spirit. Listen, you're already on your face worshiping Jesus right now in heaven. That's the reality. Faith is not changing reality. It's waking up to reality. You want to have joy. Who wants to have joy? Everybody Everybody wants to have joy. Earnestly desire the best manifestations. That's what Paul said, right? One of the best manifestations is to be happy, to quit being being such a stick in the mud, quit being so stressed. That is a good manifestation to quit freaking out all the time and feeling bad about everything. That's a good manifestation that you ought to want. How do you get it? First of all, recognize God's not going to force it on you. But then realize you don't have to work it up. It's inside you. You're already happy. You're already joyful. Why? Because the Bible says in Psalm 1611 that in God's presence there is fullness of joy. Where does God live? In you. Everybody look at your neighbor. Say, you have joy. Look at me. Everybody look at me. You are not depressed. 
You might feel that way. That might be your subjective reality. But the objective truth is that you're full of joy. And if you would start to believe that you're happy. I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. You, Amen. You would experience it. This is the truth. Number four, in the end, breakthrough is about what Jesus did, not about what you do. Quit trying to earn stuff. Calm down. Calm down. You could not move the arm of God if you tried. It's not your responsibility to move God. Jesus was already moved. That's why he came here. God's for you. You don't need a whole bunch of people to convince God to be nice to you. You don't. You know, I, I'm all for, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for as many, I want all of you to pray for me. That's awesome. All right, pray for me as much as you can. But don't feel like that if, if you don't pray for me or if you don't get a whole enough people together to pray for me that somehow God is not going to help me. Okay, everybody... It's, it's not your responsibility to change God's mind or, or make God do things. God has already made a decision about how he's going to treat Pastor Max. He's already made a decision about how he's going to treat you. And he's going to do it with love and grace and patience and kindness and all the things he wants to manifest through you. So in the end, breakthrough is about what Jesus did, not about what we do. The faith we use to believe him doesn't even originate through us. It came from believing what he said. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How do you get the faith? How do you get the faith to believe to have joy? You just need somebody to say, you have joy. And if you believe that, you'll have it. It really is that simple. It really is. Now, now I, I, well, I won't tell that. I got to, I got to, to grow in faith, we're trying to seek to more clearly understand at a heart level what Jesus did for us. I want to make one last point here, if you guys could come up to the, to the music. I think, I know, I know I've lived, I, I've, uh, been pretty strongly on the, the Armenian side of this issue. And I'm very aware of our personal responsibility as, as believers to do things and change things. And I talk about bringing heaven to earth and all these things and things we need to do. And, and uh, all that's amazing and good. Uh, but if I'm not careful, I don't know about you, I can, I can begin to start to feel some pressure. Anybody ever been at church and you just felt pressure? There's God, man. You don't do something, God's going to fall off the throne. Everybody's going to go to hell. Everything's, everything's going to be terrible. If you don't, you don't live right, act right, be right, God's in heaven. He's wringing his hands because, you know, he's, he's just real worried about what's happening down here. Well, that's, that's just not really the case. Uh, God's, God's at peace, and so you can be at peace. I want to show you something here. You can make a legalism. Uh, out of anything. You can make a, a process or a ritual by which we try to climb into the presence of God out of anything. I want to show you this scripture that I was, I was going to teach from and God arrested me and he said, you're not reading that quite right. Uh, 
2 Peter 1, verses 2 and 3. This really stunned me. This says this, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord, according as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. Here's how I would always read that. That says that God has given us everything we need in this life and that we receive it by knowing Him. Now, I think that, 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 that that's true. Certainly, the, we experience more of God in our lives the more that we know Him. How many of you would acknowledge that? However, here is, I think, what I... I don't know if anybody else has done this, but here's what I think I've done with this scripture, is I've used me knowing God as a legalism to try to get things to happen. I've tried to know God better so that I can see more blank. Right? Something's not happening. I'm not seeing this work in my life. And so I, I use, I try to get in the Word to know God better to produce blank manifestation. That's legalism. That's legalism. Here's what this says. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. That's old English for through his knowledge. Look back at Isaiah 53, 11. You'll see the travail of his soul. This is God talking about Jesus. And he shall be satisfied by his knowledge, by Jesus' knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. What is this saying? It's saying that what Jesus knew on the cross, what he experienced on the cross, knowing full well your brokenness, he became sin. He knows your need. He knows your problems. He, he actually lived down here on the earth. And the Bible says that by that knowledge, everything you need in life is being poured and heaped out on you. It's not something you have to earn through knowing Him. Jesus knew God for you. Yeah. It's hard to know God. God's really big. <laughs> now, we can know Him, and we can grow in our knowledge of Him. But as we do that, all we're doing is we're stepping into this reality that, of what Jesus knows about God. Amen. He, he comprehended your condition and God's. And he stepped into that gap for you. And, and so I want you to understand, your breakthrough doesn't hinge on, on your understanding of theology. It does not. So if you don't know all these big words, and what, calm down. Jesus, Jesus knows all the big words for you. What do you do? You just step into the reality. Jesus came down here as, as a son to connect with the Father. And then He made you a son. And so, you're not trying to become a son. You just, you just step into the reality that I'm a son of God because of Jesus. And I receive things from Him because I'm, I'm His kid. My, my son does not understand everything about me. But I feed him. I take care of him. Amen. He just has to say, Daddy, I need some food. I say, sure, son. 
Here you go. Why? Because he has faith in me. His faith doesn't change my heart towards him. He just knows I love him. Boy, if we had that kind of childlike faith, it would be amazing what we would see happen. Let's all stand up. My prayer team could come down here. I know I talked a long time this morning. I hope you caught some of this. The idea, I want, I want you to experience as much of God as you possibly can. That is, that is my heart for you. And I want you to understand two things. Number one is you can't earn it. So quit trying. And the other is you do have to take some risk. One risk is you can come down to the front and you can have somebody pray with you. I know that's scary sometimes. I know it can be intimidating, but I tell you what, we see awesome things happen if you come down here and let my prayer team lay hands on you and pray for you. If you've never accepted Jesus, you've never made him Lord of your life, that is the first thing to do to connect with this reality of what God's already done for you. We want to give you that opportunity. If you need something else, you need a miracle in your body, you need um, something else, these prayer ministers know that, that it's not about them. They're not trying to, they're not going to lay hold of God for you. They're just going to believe with you that Jesus already moved on your